Hi, welcome to the Art and Science of Learning, the podcast that digs deeper in how we learn, so that in today's accelerated world, we can learn better and enjoy it more. I'm your host, learning specialist, Dr. Kinga Petrovai. Every week, I discuss aspects of learning with academics, practitioners, and individuals with unique learning journeys to inform and inspire how you design learning into work and life. Constructive feedback is essential to learning, both in the workplace and beyond. But giving feedback doesn't always have the intended outcomes. My guest in this episode has trained and provided feedback to senior leaders across industries and around the world. Laura Peck is co-founder and senior partner of Transform Leaders in Ottawa, Canada. For over 30 years, Laura has trained and coached CEOs, deputy ministers, ministers, and C-suite executives in the public, private, and nonprofit sectors around the world. Laura is a frequent media and issues analyst on a variety of television and radio programs, and her articles appear in several national newspapers. She is a fellow at Carleton University's Riddle Master's Program in Political Management, where she frequently lectures on strategic communications and political management and the media. She is also adjunct professor in the MBA program at the Shannon School of Business, Cape Breton University, where she teaches strategic communications. And in 2014, Laura was awarded the Communications Excellence Award by Women in Communications and Technology. Thank you very much, Laura, for joining me on the podcast. Well, I love to talk about learning and development, and I like to talk about training, and it's a beautiful day, so it's great to talk to you, Kinga. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, it it really is a beautiful day after so much cloudiness. I'm thrilled to be talking to you because you have extensive knowledge and experience in this field. You've taught communication skills to senior leaders around the world for over 30 years, to ministers and CEOs. I just want to start off by asking you, has anything surprised you over this time? It has always surprised me that wherever we go, whatever country, whatever uh, diverse culture we're we're dealing with, we will always say to them, because we mean it authentically, that we deeply respect your culture and where you're coming from. And so is there anything we should know? What are your objectives? But universally, they'll always say the same thing. We want to learn from you. We already know our culture. We know our own expertise. We want to learn from you. I, I, I was always surprised at, you know, going into other countries and people saying that they are hiring us for an expertise and um, it, it works quite well. Do you think there's any common challenges that people face with communications through your experience? Is there something that most people face? Well, they're all experts in their own world. What they have is this fear of public speaking, Mm. uh, performance issues, if you will. So let's say if they're a a top doctor or a top, you name it, we've worked in every industry you could think of, but they will often say, what I fear is talking about it, but then I love talking about it. So, you know, you have the duality of that. And there are certain barriers to communication. And we send them a pre-seminar questionnaire, by the way. So we're not going in without pre-knowledge. But when we ask them, you know, what do you want to focus on? 
very often they will talk about they want to uh, reduce or get rid of ums and ahs, filler words. They want to be able to take a complicated message and make it more message driven so that a greater number of the public can understand them. So those are two major objectives that they will tell us that they have. That's really important. Well, it's always good for for people to know that they're not the only ones struggling with public speaking and communicating well. It's such an important skill and there's always room for improvement. But can you tell me a little bit about what you do with your company, the company you co-founded, Transform Leaders? Uh, What do you do as a company? We started out doing a course, how to be interviewed by the media, how to uh, do great presentations. But it was the clients and customers that said, you're really in the uh, leadership and the training business of teaching leaders. And even if you look at where do those clients end up over the decades, what happened to them? I'm still in good contact with them. Even people that I trained over 30 years ago, I run into them or they will email me or, you know, tell me how they were able to use those skills from a very long time ago. So the leadership is something that we gave a lot of focus, re-educated ourselves, re-skilled, upskilled, whatever you (laughs) want to call it. Right. And so there you have it. it. It has been a continuum. The other thing that we developed over the years is how to appear before a parliamentary committee Mm -hmm. or in the United States, how to uh, appear before a committee there. And then we were able to interview people who actually are, are, you know, the the politicians who are hearing Mm -hmm. these uh, messages from outside groups. So let's say if you are a stakeholder and you're going before the parliament, the Senate, or in the United States, We've actually interviewed people who are hearing the message. So we're able to develop courses that will help those experts on how to state the purpose as to why they're there. That's fantastic. Really important because, as you said, experts from different fields come to parliament and, you know, you you need to all be speaking the same language. People coming from very different environments and different contexts need to be able to communicate well and get the messages across. Well, there's so much we could talking about in terms of communication, but we decided to focus on constructive feedback. So can you talk a little bit about why this is such an important skill? Because they are experts and we respect that. So let's say if somebody is a PhD or they've had a tremendous amount of education experience and training in a certain field. We respect that. And usually in the room, there are other people with their equal amounts of expertise, or even in academia, we do this constructive feedback. So we started it a long time ago. When I first went into the business a long time ago, I will say that I pictured it as, you know, the trainer giving advice and and giving constructive feedback, but my whole mind got rearranged like before even day one of business, because I talked to people who were in uh, learning and development organizational training. So they rearranged my thought process and I accepted it right away. And what I noticed is that, let's say, if we are teaching how to appear before a parliamentary committee, 
the other people that are appearing with the main person, let's say the deputy minister or the ADM is appearing, they might have brought somebody in who has a legal knowledge or an expertise on whatever, are role-playing with them. And then we get the person who just did the exercise and the exercise would be presenting their opening statement. And then we go to questions. The person who is in the spotlight, we ask them first, so what did you think of the way you came across? And of course, we videotape this by showing them the video, they will tell you very honestly, pretty much what it was on their mind. And it's good for them to get it off their chest. Once they Mm -hmm. see it, they really, really get it. And then we say, and we, we have told them now, your constructive feedback is going to come from your designated observer. And that person is somebody who's already in their field. And so they are going to give constructive feedback also. And then I, as the trainer, I will come in with my constructive feedback, but also a prescription on how to fix it. That's really, really important. And we'll, we'll definitely get to that in a little bit because the whole concept of feedback and giving feedback is such an important aspect of so many different fields. Yes. You know, from teaching, if, unless you give your students constructive feedback, they can't learn or as a trainer, as someone leading a team or someone as a member of a team to your colleagues to give constructive feedback so you can all improve. So it's a very, very important skill, but it can be extremely difficult. As you said, you work with experts who are the top of their field. Giving feedback can feel a little bit difficult to give and to take maybe when you're trying to tell someone that they need to improve. What do you suggest people do? Like, let's talk about the approach that you take to be able to give constructive feedback. What are some of the main things you would suggest doing? Well, what really helps is if you have a good tone of voice, which is Dr. Kinga, you have a good tone of voice. (laughs) It it does. It really, really helps. What does that mean for someone to use a good tone of voice? Speaking warmly, speaking from a place of you want to be helpful. You're speaking from a place of authenticity. In my case, I'm a slow talker. The way that I speak is if, if, you know, people who knew me at you know, 11 years old would say, Laura spoke exactly like that. And I just naturally speak this way. Mm. But I also, because I'm aware of the room and I'm reading the room all the time, when I'm giving feedback, sometimes I'm aware that we have to move it along because of time. Mm -hmm. And so I have to be careful because I don't want to ever come across as though I'm rushing the person. My intention is always to be helpful, only Mm. to be helpful. And you also have to realize how far can you go? Mm -hmm. You have to be able to to stop if it's going to be more hurtful than helpful. Mm -hmm. The other thing is I will ask people ahead of time, is there something that you want me to say in the feedback and I can put it in a diplomatic way because I've actually done it. I know what it's like to do all of these different things, um, be on panels, teach an academic class, be interviewed by the media, uh, double-enders, radio, television, print interviews. 
I'm not asking them to do anything that I haven't already done myself. Right. And therein lies the difference also. Sometimes people have, trainers have not actually done that, but mm. they might have a very warm tone of voice. I have had trainers who, who didn't actually do that enormous amount of public outward teaching and training, but they had a great caring tone. So everything is of value to me. Uh, it, it is very, very valuable, but uh, going the distance and doing as much requires that you have to say to yourself, okay, do some deep breathing, uh, speak as though you care, because I really do. Mm -hmm. I really do. Absolutely. But you have to say it in a tone which makes the person feel better about the situation than when they came in that morning. Mm, absolutely. So to be really aware of what your internal intentions and feelings are, and if you're feeling frustrated, to try and turn that around to be helpful rather than yeah, frustrated. Yeah, I or... have had it happen also where, you know, I, I'm aware of the neurodiversity in the room also. Mm -hmm. And I've done a lot of reading on that, or they'll even tell me, uh, you, you can have great leaders who are dyslexic or ADHD. Even before it became commonplace, I started to notice the neurodiversity in a room, as well as, you know, there's everybody's bringing a certain type of diversity Absolutely. into the training uh, that you're doing. I, I take all that into account, but sometimes even if a person is nervous and fidgeting and upset, I've even had them say, you weren't tough enough in your interview or your feedback. And you just know that person is melting on the inside, but they, they want to say that out loud or that, you know, they, they will say that I was expecting it to be much tougher than that. Well, why would I, why would I be tougher than that when I can clearly see that the person you can only go so far with them. So you're calibrating all the time uh, as, as to how far can you go. You're being and sensitive so to what people are feeling and how they're reacting. And now in the pandemic, even more so, you know, I'm talking to, you know, international audiences. I'm talking to, I'm training people it could be the middle of the night for them. And um, because of the time differences, and so I've all, we have always, as uh, just in our training, we've always asked people, how are you doing today? How are you feeling today? And, you know, there were a couple of times with, with students, they weren't that forthcoming or whatever. So you just, in the executive world, they're really forthcoming. They are, um, how would I say it, easier to train. And they're much more forthcoming and they'll tell you if they were up in the middle of the night, you know, with the dog or the baby or whatever, yes. <laughs> you know, it makes a big difference. It, it, it all works. It, it all works that we always make sure that by the end of the training session that uh, everybody has a, a, an element of satisfaction. So how do you approach with regards to the feedback? How do you approach and structure feedback in your courses? When you're training individuals yeah yeah so number one the the pre-seminar questionnaire will pretty much tell me what they want to focus on so mm -hmm. i will focus my interview or well we will put together we have hundreds of powerpoints mm -hmm. but we will call through it and only show what is relevant to that person or we will make sure that 
they are receiving what they need to know. And then in the constructive feedback, we, we even have a checklist for that. And so that's very helpful also because that focuses. So, you know, mm -hmm. on the checklist, it'll say who is the presenter or the meeting leader. Mm -hmm. And this checklist, you know, it can, it can vary a little bit between the uh, media training or the appearance before committee or, you know, how to be a great panelist. And then also there's even a place for the observer. So they put their name on it. And of course, writing out your name, it makes you feel a little bit more ownership of this. Right. And then we give them certain, the objectives to, to look for. But of course, as the trainer, I'm going to fill all that in. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm going to make sure because sometimes people forget or they don't just don't do it. But for sure, uh, it really helps having uh, this checklist in front of you. It sort of gives you a little running count on what should be said or what should be added. And then it also gives you a count to make sure what you pay attention to and provide feedback on is a really nice way to have the objectives and the, the, the key points outlined for everybody to pay attention to. I guess that already directs the feedback. Of course, yes, mm -hmm. it does. And I think that the observer really helps. And mm -hmm. then we switch it around to, let's say if you have, you know, more than one person being trained and they might come in with a couple of other people. But then if there are other people like, you know, in a, in a larger seminar in which you're, I'm training a room full of doctors, then we'll switch it around because then another doctor will come up or another lawyer will come up and then the observer will change. Mm -hmm. So everybody gets an opportunity. It's a very inclusive exercise because mm -hmm. then everybody in the room gets to actually perform the task, perform the exercise, but the observer gets to feedback, but then we switch it around. You, mm. you, you follow where I'm going with this? Yes, absolutely. Like everybody gets the opportunity. Yes. Okay. So you make sure that you're not the only one giving the feedback. Everyone gives feedback. And on the one hand, it's great for everyone to practice giving feedback and also to get different perspectives on how the person did in that particular session. How do you do this to make sure that the people giving the feedback, which everyone has to do, uh, that it's constructive and it's positive? What kind of guidance do you provide? Well, it's, it's all part of team building. And so when you're in a room of your colleagues from work or your peer group from work, or even if they don't even know each other all that well, it, it does work. It, it, ju it, it just overcomes them that they want to be helpful to one another, as well as, you know, there's a certain trust factor that they have with me. They know that I'm there to help and they know that I can give them an exercise or fill in the blanks or something like that. Right. So, you know, after doing this for decades, it, it, it works. That's really good. That is very, very good. That and I think what you said about having confidence and having trust in the in the group and yes. in the person leading the group is very important. Those types of relationships and building those relationships is really important. Correct. And respect. Mm -hmm. And respect. Absolutely. Have you noticed people making any mistakes when they are something that you advise them to not to steer away from when they're giving feedback to their peers? 
Sure. Things like not being aware of diversity or using certain words or messages that may not work or might not fly the audience. There's certain things that they, or they're using too expert a language. Mm -hmm. So in order to make that their messages more palatable to greater audience, they've got to be able to respect people's intelligence, but also say it in a way that people are going to understand. Mm -hmm. So um, valuing that you don't necessarily have to have as an audience member, you don't necessarily have to have formal degree, but uh, I mean, and I know you went to Harvard and at Harvard, you meet a lot of smart people, but that doesn't necessarily mean there are some people that are, you know, taking one degree after the other, but they're not put, putting it in to the workplace maybe. Mm -hmm. And so there's a difference also having work colleagues give you constructive feedback, it, it builds rapport. And then even when they go back to the workplace, they'll, they will report back and say, gosh, you know, I, I, I found I got to know my colleagues much better. Mm -hmm. um, or, we, or we used to work in silos. That's the other thing. Uh, we right. used to, they, they will say, I used to work in a silo, but now I have an appreciation for what my colleagues do and say, Mm -hmm. And I know who to go to if I want some help or information. So it's a good thing. Definitely. Very, very good thing. And, uh, and you spoke a, a little bit about how diversity plays a role in the fact of giving feedback that is useful and constructive and received well. I mean, there's two parts to this. One is the fact that we're in a very interconnected world and um, you, you speak across culturally or even in different industries, people who have very different uh, ways of doing things and ways of communicating in different industries, and also intergenerationally. And then you also spoke about neurodiversity. So there's a lot of different differences where communication can be lost. So how do you approach these cultural differences when giving feedback? Oh, yeah, that 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 is that is a big one. I did. Uh some training in person. I did an executive leadership program at Harvard and uh, they, it was a team teaching. There was a mm -hmm. much older person and a much younger guy. I had great role modeling right there in the room. And I learned, gosh, you know, the older guy was close to 80 years old, but he was fantastic. His energy was amazing. Mm -hmm. Whereas the younger guy, he was really tired. <laughs> you know, so you can't necessarily judge. No. <laughs> uh, you know, or I get a lot of diversity in my life because of, of teaching MBA. And um, I, I really appreciate the students are mostly younger but, you know, they're out partying or something like that. So you really can't judge. Um, sometimes they're a little more closed minded, whereas people who have been in the workplace for a long time, they've really opened their minds up. They've had a lot of diversity in their lives. So um, but for sure, I, I think it is good to know what baby boomers like Gen X. Um, I, I'm aware of all of it. Mm -hmm. And I take it all into consideration. It, we have a good balance in our practice, in our business, as well as ac in academia. It all works out quite well. 
so I'm taking all that into consideration as well as, you know, years ago, I talked to a guy who was a PhD in the labor force and, you know, we will have all kinds of learning outcomes as a result of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Take, for instance, there's been a lot of research into people who came out of the depression or came out of 9-11, the 9-11 uh, learners. Mm-hmm. Uh, now it's going to be learners coming out of the pandemic. And we are also going to be dealing with a workforce they've never been in with colleagues. They got hired online. They work online. They're doing university online. Uh, so there's there's a tremendous amount of, of diversity out there. And let's keep up with it. Absolutely. And I like what you said, that the fact that you mentioned neurodiversity in terms of different ways of thinking, cultures, ways of doing things. I think neurodiversity is probably uh, is a much more recent more and more people are thinking about and becoming aware of understanding a little bit better. In terms of that, how have you changed feedback? You said that you're noticing neurodiversity and you're taking that into consideration. How is the way that you provide feedback and the way you suggest for others to provide feedback impacted by neurodiversity? Well, pre-seminar questionnaire and the checklist helps a lot, Mm -hmm. but sometimes I'm even doing this in different languages So take, for instance, I've worked in the Ukraine, I've worked in Estonia, I've worked in many, many different countries. And so Mm -hmm. there can be a different way, even in in Britain, and I I know you're familiar because you've worked there, and there can be a different way of how they receive the message. Mm -hmm. And you want to make it as comfortable as that for that person as you possibly can but take for instance we went to the university of bath and they brought us in because they wanted us to teach marketing they had a photonics department so they're all genius at doing all of this but they wanted to be able to market into the united states so I'm taking British people, experts, but I'm teaching them how to speak American and I'm a Canadian. So, <laughs> right. you know, but it, it, it all seems to work out. It just, we, we're, we, we are really interested in them. I'm very interested in, in, in how they do as people. And so in the end, I'm giving them constructive feedback because I sincerely want them to do well. Mm-hmm. Once they are marketing that photonics or that complex project that they've got out there, the, not, none of these things are easy, by the way. No, it's I'm... just that, uh, you know, we put the effort in. Definitely very interesting. The fact that you have train in such different contexts, uh, different industries and, uh, and very different types of people. And I'm curious to find out, I mean, of course, so many people around the world have a lot of their interactions and a lot of the communication is happening, not face-to-face, but over, over video conferencing. And we've noticed that that subconsciously does change the way that we're able to interact with people. It's not the same. How do you think that this is impacting communications and, and particularly giving feedback to your team member, to your employee, to uh, your students? What should we be aware of when we're communicating across distance like this through video? You, you are right. And so that's why the 
constructive feedback methodology works the best. However, I have had a client since March of a couple of years ago, as soon as the pandemic started, this, this new client came in and he wants to have feedback and not the constructive kind. And so I am willing to do an experiment on myself. I, I, I will also, even though I, I can't tell you how much I like doing the, the, the approach that we've used for many years, there are a few, not, not very many, but there are a few people that think, well, you're the trainer, you just tell them. So I, I have done it and I will do it, but it is just not as effective as when you do the constructive feedback methodology. You know, sometimes I'm training people and I've, I've never met them in person. And so I only see them on a screen. And so they do their, you know, they, they present their complex piece. It could be mm -hmm. on a clinical trial. That's the big thing that's happening now. Everybody wants to get their vaccine, their medicine on the market really, really fast because of COVID and there's a sense of urgency. And it's the same with when you're training them, you know, there's this sense of urgency, but also they have to have it done perfectly. It has, mm -hmm. they, they can't, it's very difficult to rush a clinical trial, but they, you know, we have better methodologies nowadays also. And, and so it goes also, they want me to just get feedback. So I will tell them, this is what you did right. This is what you can improve on. You, you know, I can do that, but the outcome, it's not as satisfying is that incredible experience that you have with people when you can, you know, set it up, teach them a few things, get them in experiential education. This is really what it is. And you, you get them to take ownership and you're experiencing it with them. And then you give them constructive feedback, but for sure, Nowadays, people want it fast, real fast. And the other thing is nobody can stand to sit all day in front of a computer screen. I used to see it was a full day seminar. Now everybody wants everything done in under two hours, 90 minutes. And it is very, very difficult to uh, give the proper exercises. Uh, I try my best. But uh, for sure, it's not as satisfying as it used to be. So in addition to the group also providing feedback, everyone providing each other feedback, what is the difference when someone's asking for you to just give them feedback or you go through the process, the constructive feedback process? Well, they don't know what they don't know because so they haven't experienced the right. uh, constructive feedback thing. And I, I think they're missing something because you can use this with employees or whatever, but even more today, you have to be so careful uh, because the workplace giving feedback to totally stressed out people, motivating a workforce to be pro productive, to get things done it's really, really difficult as well as there's a lot of people out there that have a side hustle. Mm -hmm. So they have their main work job, but then they have their main hustle, they call it. And, and that is what they're more interested in than their, their main job. But nevertheless, as the leader in a company 
or in government, you, you have to be productive, you have to motivate this workforce to, to move it along. And so giving constructive feedback, you know, some people can choose to take your feedback incorrectly, their interpretation of it uh, can be based very much on, you know, they had a fight with their spouse that day, or they're just too tired, or, you know, they just can't stand looking at a screen for any longer. So there can be other things that happen to mm-hmm. people. So you got to be ready to roll with it. Mm-hmm. I wonder if in those situations, because as you said, especially when there's so much going on, things have to be done quickly and people are stressed. Giving feedback can feel like an attack. I mean, it can in the best of times also. So that's what you want to move away from and make it constructive so that everyone's improving and getting better together. But in stressful situations, is it better to stay really short and focused? Like what is the strategy that would help to not have it be received in an unintended negative way? To a person. I tailor it, frankly. Mm-hmm. I also, I'm, I'm aware of the, the time constraints. I'm aware of the stresses and strains on that person. And mm-hmm. so sometimes I can say it in a paragraph and then other times I get it. You know, you got to say it in under 90 seconds. Mm-hmm. So, so either way, I, I seem to be able to manage to, to do it. So you said before that as a trainer, you're not just imparting knowledge. There's a lot more in the feedback that you're giving and in the way that you're, you're helping people. You're not just imparting knowledge. You're also helping to fix whatever that they are trying to fix in their, in their communication. So how do you do this? Can you speak a little bit about this? You know, it's amazing what people will tell you. We used to say between 9 and 9.30, they'll pretty much tell you why they're there. Sometimes they are, they've got a new job and they haven't even told their boss. They want to run in politics. It's extraordinary. They, they might have the, or like I, I, I worked for a big grocery chain at one time and they had invested a lot in this executive and he told me that he had a job offer and he was leaving the company and he know wow. he knew that they were going to be uh, ticked at him and, and it's the same with you know I've had people tell me they want to be leader of their country and they're in another organization completely different it and, and I don't say or go public on this or whatever but I just sort of have it in the back of my mind as we're going along we try to tailor it towards that person in the room. Going into other countries, like in Rome, or uh, I remember in uh, Tallinn and Tartu, you would start off with a group of 10, and then they start to call one another and bring other oh, really? people seriously. Oh, like it was, it was incredible. Um, and there's a, a there's a, a, a play a university it's it's one of the oldest universities in the world but they were hosting a, a, a conference and more and more people started to come in and I felt kind of badly because there were language differences as well as they hadn't been there for the for the actual teaching part they were mm-hmm. coming in while 
while I was doing the interviews and the constructive feedback part. So on the inside, I was feeling badly because they were not having this conversation or open to this conversation like you and I are having in which I'm explaining this. Right. They were coming in cold, but nevertheless, I mean, it was a great experience also. I'm glad, you know, we're 300, only 60 miles from the Russian border. And so it was, it was an extraordinary and I'm grateful for those experiences or, you know, in Jamaica, we, we train a lot of judges all over the world. Sometimes the, the judges would be there for day one. And then the next day they bring all these new people in. <laughs> and yeah. And so if you've missed day one of everything and you come yeah. in on day two, it's not the same thing, but you got, you got to make it work no matter mm. what that, Absolutely. that training just has to work. And Definitely. the people that were there for day two, they don't even understand. They might write on evaluation that I didn't understand, you know, whatever. And you feel like saying, well, that's because you weren't there for the whole day one, yes. you know. It's important to not miss parts of the well, parts yeah. of the course. That sounds like a fantastic experience and uh, and that you learn a lot too along oh, the way. Oh, Oh, yeah. From what I'm hearing. Really oh, great. Yeah. Especially in Bermuda, because they are such, you know, in their education. In Bermuda, they teach public speaking and they put a lot of emphasis in the schools. So I, I will find out something like that. And so even if you're training bankers or insurance people or whatever in Bermuda, most of them have already. And, you, and I wonder, what can I possibly teach them? Well, I do. And I figure it out. And it's, it's, it, I learned a lot from them also. That's fantastic. That is really, really good. In your teaching, I mean, I know that you also provide guidance to people uh, on how to fix. So it's not just imparting knowledge, but you also provide guidance on how to fix whatever they're trying to fix in their in their communication. Can you give some examples of how that's important, how that turned out to be important to you? Because sometimes that's not the way that training is approached. In crisis communications, you are right. You have to really say it in a very caring way and there are some people and some crises we will say to them what would you rather have a bad day or a bad year some hmm. people would rather drag it out for a really long time because they don't want to communicate clearly what the issue problem is the apology how they're going to fix it whatever there's certain things that should be done and so i get it you know i accept it i've done this for a long time but there are some people that they have a harsher way of communicating and mm. they just can't seem to sum it up to say it in a way that people are going to accept or uh, feel it's palatable or they don't know how to put the right words into it or they repeat negativity or they repeat bait phrases or something like that and you know you just got to accept it that's just the way they are but there are other people that you know what they'll say I don't want to live another day with this issue hanging over my head and so they will go with the advice and then it's, it's over. 
Very interesting, Laura. You have a fascinating company and you do a lot of really interesting training. And certainly there's a lot to learn from what you're saying and how to communicate and specifically in how to give constructive feedback, which is so, so important. So I know you have a fantastic Twitter and LinkedIn feed where you're always sharing, you're sharing a lot of good advice and good tips. And is that the best way for people to, to reach out to you? Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, I, I I don't think my website's all that good. I'll be honest. Uh, it's 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 something that we need to work on more. You know, as somebody once said, or very often it said actually, we we do so much that by the t- you know every day it's more interesting to actually do the work to actually do the training, and yes, so definitely. that yeah. Yeah. And, and so, you know, that, that is really where my heart is, is, you know, helping the next thing and the next person. Mm -hmm. I like doing that. So yeah, follow me on LinkedIn or Twitter. I try to make it a learning experience. Also, I'm not there to rant about something. I'm not giving up a lot of opinions on something. I'm, I'm sharing something, which I think would be helpful that that is what I'm trying to do is to make it as constructive as I possibly can. And I can give you an example in which constructive feedback was a little bit more difficult to achieve. Do you want to hear it? Yes, please. Okay. So I'm in DC and I've got the, the leader of this organization and this person is I I do all of my training with this person, but he is accompanied by 12 people from the department that he was in. And so when I went, yeah. (laughs) uh, Yeah. So when we went to constructive feedback, I had to be able to rein it in because everybody wanted to say something. Can you imagine? So there's, there's one leader. 12 people and they all want to get in there. So sometimes what I find with the checklist, it's great because I'm physically only giving one person the checklist. I learned a long time ago, not everybody can do constructive feedback. Some Mm. people they're over contributing or something like that. And so by giving them a checklist, you're empowering them as it's a vehicle for them to get out. What are we looking for in constructive feedback? And so yeah. that sort of puts a little bit more of a, of a time control on it also. So that right. eventually Absolutely. the person, the leader who's, who's you're there as, you know, to train, not everybody is, is telling this person, you can only have one other person besides the trainer. It's important to orchestrate that as the trainer and as the leader. Exactly. To, to orchestrate how the environment functions for it to be productive. So that's, a, that's interesting to hear. It's a good thing to reflect on for sure. Well, this is so interesting, Laura, and I, I really appreciate your, your time and insights. Before we leave, I always like to ask for a recommendation, something to read or watch that inspires you on this, on this topic. There are libraries of books one can read, and I totally respect them. That's for sure. But now in the pandemic, I think the podcasts are doing a great job. Like I listened to some of the podcasts that you've already done. I found them very, very au courant on top of what's really happening out there. 
So sure, you can go. I I used to have a library, and then and then we downsized dramatically. But I I've read dozens and dozens of books over the years. I am the kind of learner who I learn by watching, by learning, by listening. And so there are podcasts you can listen to that are very, very effective, uh, doing mm-hmm. courses online, and certainly some of the leadership courses that I did in person, I've done them online all over again. And I found that okay. to be very, very helpful to watch and learn online is that that's really the future anyway. Lots of great material out there. Correct. There's a lot of good material out there. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Laura. It's always a pleasure to speak with you. And thank you for your insights on critical feedback. My pleasure, Kinga. Thank you for your time also. Thank you very much. So nice to see you.